The Duel in the Desert. I heard that title used on the radio this week, advertising the Hot Rod Nationals up in Phoenix. They're coming up in March. <clears throat> it's used for UFC fights and for uh, cheerleading competitions and youth sports events and golf tournaments, the duel in the desert. But for us, gathered here today, it means something much bigger, something way more important, something of great significance. Of course, I'm talking about the annual football game between the U of A and ASU. University of Arizona versus Arizona State. The Wildcats against the Sun Devils. This morning, as we hear about the duel that is of actual importance, the one between Jesus and Satan, I have to ask you not to take that devil part too far. When Arizona beats that team that's up north, we take great pride because Arizona is our team. That team represents Tucson. It represents its fans. And, and when they win, we even say, we won, even though you and I were not out there on the field. In ancient times, a, a single warrior would sometimes go out and and battle against one warrior from the opposing army. Whichever one of those men won would bring victory to all the people. You might think of David and Goliath. That's what happened there. Today we get to witness a one-on-one -on -one battle between Jesus and the devil. Why would the Father send the Holy Spirit to lead Jesus out into the desert wilderness to fight the devil? And why would Jesus willingly go to do that? Well, because Jesus came to do his Father's will. And his Father's will was that Jesus would defeat the devil. And so Jesus went out to this face-to-face uh, -face opportunity to defeat the devil, the one who continually fights to lead God's people away from him. Jesus was led to go out to meet the devil in a desert wilderness, very much like the desert wilderness we know here in southern Arizona. The duel in the desert pitted the one who tempted Adam and Eve and brought sin to them and, and to all people after them against the one who came to save sinners. Matthew's Gospel tells us about the last three temptations that the devil hurled at Jesus at the end of his 40 days of fasting in the desert. He wanted to cause Jesus to sin, to destroy the work of salvation, just as Jesus prepared to reveal himself as the promised Savior and set out on a three-year course to the cross where he would undo the devil's work of bringing sin into the world. With Jesus weak from hunger, the devil said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. We might wonder what the harm in that would be. Jesus would get the chance to display his awesome power and he would be able to satisfy that extreme hunger that he had. But that's exactly what the tempter wanted. He wanted Jesus to use his divine power to escape human suffering. 
Jesus would have failed at his mission to endure what human beings endure, to understand what human beings go through to suffer for sinners. By refusing to solve his earthly need with his godly power, Jesus was trusting his Father to provide for him. That's what this was about, about trusting God. So Jesus fought back using what the Apostle Paul would later call the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. See, God is the one who speaks and gives life. God says, let there be, and a life is formed. That's the main thing. The other is that we need food to eat. We die without it. Jesus would have died if he did not get food. God also speaks in his written word. And there he assures us that he is the one who provides food and everything that we need. So Jesus would rely on his father's providing instead of just giving up and using his divine power to solve his human need. If it's still not entirely clear to you how this would have been uh, a big deal, think of the devil and how he later influenced the people that stood at the foot of Jesus' cross. They shouted at him, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The temptation's the same, isn't it? Jesus would have failed in his fight to save us if he would have used his divine power to stop his human suffering. This is how Jesus can understand the suffering of hungry men and women living on the streets. This is how he knows the plight of children around the world who go for long stretches without food. This is how he, he feels for the parent who loses a job and doesn't know how they're going to put food on the table for the family. He knows how it feels. He understands the temptations that may come to them to sin to solve their problem. Violence or theft, maybe. Perhaps despair, just giving up on God. Comfort can be found in this truth from Hebrews chapter 4. It was actually our, our verse of the day today. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And strength is found in the example of Jesus who trusted his Father to provide. Most importantly, forgiveness for failures is found in the one who fought for us. How much do you trust God? Maybe you handle this next example well, but the truth is many of us don't. Do you ever think that maybe you can't afford to give offerings back to God the way he expects, like in proportion to the blessings he's given to us and, and generous toward God? That's fear. Or maybe um, when it comes to this kind of thing, you, you're the opposite. You claim to, 
to trust God so much that you don't worry about it. You don't manage your money. You don't plan for the future. Well, that's foolishness. Are you afraid that God won't take care of you? Or do you put God to the test in his care for you? This is just one example of temptation's extremes when it comes to God's providing. And there are these kind of extremes in many things in our lives where where in sin we might be living in fear or we're living in foolishness before God. It was that latter temptation that the devil threw at Jesus. From the pinnacle of the temple, he dared Jesus to jump to what certainly would have been his death. Oh, but wait. Didn't God say that he would send his angels to protect his people? Certainly Jesus trusted that word of God as much as he trusted those other words that talked about not living by bread alone. But it wasn't a lack of trust in knew how foolish it would have been to put God to the test, to make him act in some miraculous way to save him. Jesus wielded the word of God again, and he struck back. It is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. The devil tempts us to to misuse the grace of God, perhaps pushing us to be overconfident, to to believe that we can just go ahead and and keep on sinning and everything will be just fine when really we're testing God. We're toying with his grace. Jesus knows what this is like because the devil tempted him to put God's love and, and his protection to the test. So he understands our struggle. We can be comforted that Jesus understands. We can find wisdom and strength to beat the temptation to live foolishly before God, remembering how Jesus fought this temptation. And above all, we're we're relieved to hear that, that we are forgiven when we fail because Jesus won this battle for us too. From the top of a mountain, Satan displayed the glory of all the kingdoms in the world. We don't know how he did that, but it says that he did. It was all there right before Jesus' eyes. I'll give all of this to you. Just bow down and worship me. Jesus couldn't be tempted by something as dumb as this, could he? He's the Son of God. Everything in all of creation belongs to him. But remember, Jesus faced these temptations as true God and as true man. He lived here with human flesh and blood, with human needs affected by things that that we are affected by, like hunger and pain and wanting to avoid suffering. He was tempted to sin just like we are. As Jesus surveyed all of these kingdoms, he was very aware that they were filled with the very people he came to save. Could he have seen this as a shortcut? 
All the people of the world become his without the next three years of persecution and the gruesome death that lay at the end of that? After five and a half weeks of not eating and living in a desert and facing continual temptations during that time, this may have been quite appealing. All he had to do was bow down. Put Satan on the same level as God, worthy of worship. Then his suffering would be over, all the future suffering would be avoided, and all he saw would be his. A false promise. Because the kingdoms weren't Satan's to give in the first place. And because all of the people could not become God's people if Jesus bowed down to Satan. In order for sinners to be one for God, the blood of a perfect champion would have to be offered. That was the price that would bring forgiveness and salvation. The God who said that long ago is the only God the only one worship of worthy of worship and praise. I'm sure that you would say you would never worship Satan. I want to say the same thing. But Satan is the one that puts the temptations before us in order to pull us away from God, which necessarily means that he is pulling us toward him. He tempts us to prioritize something ahead of God. And you might not think of that as worship, but it is. We're worshiping whatever that thing is, if it's money, or experiences and fun, or a particular person, or our family, or any material things. By doing that, prioritizing something else ahead of God, we have chosen to fall in line with Satan, his ways and his will. Your Savior knows what it's like to be tempted to worship something or someone else. He overcame that temptation by reminding his enemy that Scripture says to only worship and serve God. We're comforted to know that Jesus understands because he's been there. And we're strengthened when we learn how Jesus beat that temptation. But what means the most to us is knowing that Jesus won that battle, which means that you and I are forgiven for all of the times we lose a battle. Jesus proved himself the champion as he fended off that final attack. He gave the command, go away, Satan. And so the devil lost the duel in the desert, but he would be back time and time again. And he would be there at the end, too, on that Black Friday, grinning, thinking that he had defeated Jesus finally, feeling like a champion. But Jesus ended up defeating him then, too, didn't he? His Easter victory over death was the final proof that Jesus 
is the champion we needed. There are two important lessons to take away from Jesus' victory over the devil. The first is that Jesus defeated Satan for us because, as we've been thinking about as we've gone along this morning, we often give in to his temptations and sin against God. We needed a champion to fight for us, and Jesus did. And like warriors of the past who who battled an enemy one-on-one and then gave the victory to their people, Jesus has given his victory to us. The second thing that we learn from Jesus is how to battle the devil when we are tempted with the word and promises of God and worshiping God above all things and trusting in him. We thank and praise Jesus for making his victory our victory and we ask him to be with us as we fight temptation every day until our battle ends and we have the final victory in heaven. Amen.